3 tonight. We're really moving along with this. Revelation 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 6. We are in number five of our seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. We're looking at the church of Sardis. So let's read Revelation 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not spoiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we get to Sardis, this feels very different from the other four that we've seen. There really is a shift here. There's still plenty of similarities. The structure is the same. Some of the rhetoric is the same. But ultimately, when we get to Sardis, things really are taking a turn. We might expect, for instance, the letter to begin like the others with, there's usually the statements of commendation, right? There's some positive things. You, you, you might have some negative things, and I'll get there in a minute, but you have done this well. So, for instance, Thyatira, he praises them for their love, for their, their faith, and for their, their service. Pergamum, he praises them for enduring through persecution. They have endured, they've been faithful, even some to the point of death. And yet, as he gets to Sardis, there's, there's actually none of that. Nothing commendable about Sardis. And so from the beginning, this church, there's, there's a little bit of a heavier tone. Do you, you sense that even as we read it? In that second part of the first verse, the verses are kind of broken up a little bit strange there. Really, look at it's sort of probably a new sentence or a new paragraph there even. As you look at chapter 3, the second part of verse 1, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They have, they have the reputation for being alive. They, they look like a vibrant church externally. Everything on the outside gives signs that there is life, that there is activity, that there is energy within this church. But spiritually, he says to them, they are as good as dead, spiritually speaking. And, and as, even as I'm reading this, and of course I've read this many times, I couldn't help, but I think I even spoke verbally in my office, which I sometimes do. I feel bad for, for Monica and for, you know, it, it, sometimes she'll come in there, Linda will come over there, I'm probably talking to myself. This is probably one of those ones. I just, I think I said, wow. They're as good as dead, spiritually. Someone help, help me unpack this. I mean, I, I could do it, but I'd, I'd love for you to, to say, if you think, what, what, is, what is going on in this church? What, what, what would this look like? All of the activity on the outside and yet spiritually, how, how could this be? Someone unpack the scenario a little bit. Anybody? I think the scripture says it has the form of godliness, but the heart denies the Yes. The form, that external, right? Well, we don't know exactly what's going on. I mean, you know, Mickey's scenario here of, you know, denying the, the godliness, so is their sin and so on. And 
that the power that, that it's neglecting there. We, we don't know exactly. Is it is it is it sins of the flesh? Is it apathy? Is it uh, is it some sort of false doctrine? Is it some combination of all those? At the end of the day, we we don't know, and actually, it's it's less important. But this this is the idea. As we've seen previously, and actually we've seen this a lot in James too. I never planned, I mean, I, I did know James. I feel like God put James on my heart as I was coming here to pastor. I had not chosen Revelation, and yet there's been a lot of parallel, hasn't there, as we've been studying these things, just in God's providence. And ultimately, we always trust those things to him. But, but we've, we've seen this previously in Revelation, we've seen it in James, that it is possible to have all of the external display of ministry and service in terms of people and and aesthetics, and lots of energy, and activity, and programs. It's possible to have all of those things, and yet be spiritually dead. That's, that's counterintuitive for us. Because again, and, you know, and, I, and I go back to this, this, was a, this, is, this is especially true everywhere in Baptist life, but nowhere is it more true than in denominational life. Everything is about, okay, what's the church budget? If the budget's increasing, that's a good sign. If numbers are increasing, you know, within membership, that's a good sign. And really, all those other things are secondary or even tertiary. You know, is there a building program? Is there expansion going on? Are there new programs? Are there visitors? Is, are we adding a new streaming? Are we on the local television network or on the radio? Like, all of those things, that's what shows a successful ministry. There's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, in general, those things are very good. I hope that we would have lots of those things. But at the end of the day, those things are not... An, a, a perfect sign. They are not a sure sign of spiritual health. I could take you to any random city in America, be it Charlotte, D.C., L.A., Chicago, small towns, medium cities. I could take you to, to any place and very likely we could find churches that have all those external signs of vibrancy that I just described and listed could walk in there, we could see lots of people, we could see full parking lots, we could see impressive screens and, 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 and um, preachers with smooth tongues, and we could have all of the energy and activities of, you know, lots of kids' programs and all those sort of things, great in and of themselves. And yet we could go within those churches that have all of those things and find that they've abandoned the doctrines of the faith. They have given themselves over to sins. Um, they have given up, and again, the extreme here as we think about where these things ultimately come in, giving up the mission of the church. Why does the church exist? What are we supposed to do as a church? That's, it, that's the sort of lampstand issue. Are we doing what we're supposed to do as a church? Or have we just become a country club? Have we just become another business? Have we just become this or that, whatever it is? Because of my own work, just in, you know, when I've done work in history and writing and things like that, uh, my, my own area has been studying uh, liberal theology, which we're not talking about political liberalism, so you know, that, that's not the idea. And someday I'll probably unpack what that means. But it, but it was a movement basically to update Christianity to make it fit better with the sentimentality and the, more, the mores of, of modern society. Okay? And so it was, it was ultimately trying to, let's, let's make Christianity more relevant for modern society, for smart people, for modern people, rather than the old traditional religion that is embarrassing in the modern world. And so, so there are churches that would represent that. Uh, there are hundreds in North Carolina, and in, in most other southern states, there are many as well. North Carolina has more than most. That's why I ultimately found Starnes Cove was my research here in North Carolina. But it's not just those kind of churches. 
There could be a church that is conservative and Bible-believing, externally, again, and yet ultimately has abandoned the mission of the church for something else. Maybe it's because they've given themselves over to political activity. No longer are they worried about souls, but rather power. Or it could be all they care about is relationships and all that matters is, again, their people and their activity and their nostalgia. It could be a whole host of things. Very often it's the, the extreme of what I'm, again, calling liberalism, but it doesn't need to be. It could very often be those other things. I, I'll save it for later. I have an illustration. If I have time, I'll come back to it, but it's, it's a good one. How, how do we make sure? So, so on one hand, I, I don't want us to go, well, goodness, what if, is this us and how is it? I don't want us to be lingering on that too long. I mean, ultimately, you know, that is a good question to ask. But, but at least, let's ask it at least for a second. How do we make sure that this is not us? What does he say in the text? Well, then we get to verses 2 and 3. This is the solution. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So they're sort of on spiritual life support. They're as good as dead. They're sort of a, a vegetable, so to speak, spiritually. They're on life support. He says, but wake up, strengthen what remains. For I have not found your works complete in my sight. Again, that's the, 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 the issue here. But when we get to verse 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, then I will come and ultimately here's the line of judgment. So what is the solution? It's actually pretty simple. R remember what you were first taught. Again, presumably the idea, and this would, I think in general, we could think this, that at the beginning, I mean, most every church is going to at least have the foundation right, or else you wouldn't have had some sense of thinking. Now, again, there are exceptions to that, but generally the idea is there was probably a time where you had it right. Can you, can you remember back to that gospel that you first heard? Can you remember back to the principles that you were founded upon? He says that to them. Certainly that would have been true of this church in Sardis. Remember the gospel. Repent of your, again, is it, is it apathy? Is it carnality? Is it division? It could be a whole host of things. But clearly they're, they're not getting it right. And church, this is, again, as bad as that first verse feels. It's like, oh, goodness, it's so bad. The solution is relatively simple, isn't it? And this is always the hope for the lost. And no matter how lost a church might be, we need to think about this corporately. Again, a church is made up of individuals, and that's important. But this is, this is a letter to the church, corporately, in Sardis. And so no matter how off track a church may get, it's never too far gone. There's always some hope. I was talking to a pastor here recently. I won't tell you who he was, but he pastors a church here in Asheville. And when he went to that church, um, there was significant doctrinal compromise, and he knew that. And there was, um, goodness, he was just sharing a whole host of things that would, I mean, honestly, sound a little bit like some of these churches. I mean, there was some significant issues in the church, and he knew that. And he went in there basically saying, I'm going to give it all that I've got. I don't think it's too far gone. The search team was willing to bring him in. He knew there was going to be a fight, and there, and there had been. Um, but ultimately, it seems to be turning the corner. Things seem to be going back, and they seem to be getting right on the essentials, and there are lots of good signs, and he's energized and excited as much as he has scars <laughs> from the ministry. God can redeem those churches and, 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 and institutions. They're never too far gone. But, but if you can't sense it here, the, the, this is urgent. You know, the Lord says, I will come and judge you like a thief in the night. That's often used in the book of Revelation. At least three, maybe four times that language is used in the book of Revelation and elsewhere uh, in the Gospels as well. Jesus is using that language. 
they need to wake up and act. If they, if they, if they don't get it right, he will do, as he warned, the Ephesian church. Think back to chapter 2, verse 5. What did he warn the Ephesian church he was going to do if they didn't straighten up, if they didn't return to fidelity? Remove their lampstand. Right? We talked about that. What does that mean, right? You know, again, on one hand, affirming that all of those who are truly saved will never be lost, that we are never sort of in God's redemptive, you know, bosom, so to speak, in the family of God, adopted in Christ, justified, and then sort of booted out later. And yet there is some element of that that is mysterious, right? God knows those who are truly his. But corporately, there's a sense in which here, um, the idea is that they would lose any sense of being a true church, the lampstand being removed. Now, is it possible there could still be a Christian in that church? Well, yes, of course. We'll talk about that in a moment. But as far as them having any sense of legitimacy as a biblical church, as a church of Jesus Christ, that's the idea of removing that lampstand. They're now nothing but a group of people who at one time, perhaps, um, stood for the name of Christ. And so the way that it's mentioned here is a little different, but it's the same idea. He says that I will, I will come against you in that hour. And he's going to describe it's going to get even worse as he continues down. And so as we get to verse 4, um, in fact, I'll just read it again. You have, you have still, this is some good news. There's a little bit of a silver, silver lining here. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me. They're, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so there are still some in that church. Now, is it 5%? Is it 30% of the church? You know, we don't know, but there's some remnant within that church that have been faithful. That language of the soiled garments and things like that, that gives us maybe some sense of what the infidelity was. Often that language is used for idolatry. Oh, that's such a broad category. There's a lot that falls into idolatry. But perhaps that's what was going on. We certainly see that with some of the other churches, don't we? Uh, certainly common that the, the human heart that we would make idols and worship things that are not God and give our hearts and affections to things that are not God. And so, but there is some faithful element there. And as, as, I, as I think about this, it, my mind naturally goes back. And again, this is in part because of my own work in this area. But um, when denominations, this was a, depending on which denomination you're talking about, but basically from about the 1920s through the 1970s, Different denominations were going through splits and so on as, as those denominations. It's one thing for to have a few churches that become liberal and that have again abandoned, in a real sense, the gospel. And that when you have whole institutions and whole denominations, it becomes a point where they start fracturing. And so you have this series going on. And so you, you have these mainline denominations like the Presbyterian Church United States. Um, well, it's Presbyterian Church USA. And you have United Methodist Church, and you have these groups where the denomination as a whole is quite liberal and increasingly liberal. Um, again, and by liberal, I don't mean, oh, they don't believe exactly like we do. No, I mean, we're talking about compromise on the most fundamental issues, and really all of them even. It's usually not one. It's usually many. Um, and yet within those denominations, there, there is very often, in fact, I would say always, there are these faithful churches that have stood strong and have held to it. And I that there's, you know, this, you know, people that I know have been able to, to remain and hold on, hoping that maybe they'd be able to be of influence. But very often what you find is that you'll have, you know, even a church that, that 
externally looks in, in many ways has walked away from the gospel, yet there will be a few faithful people in there. Maybe they're in their 80s or their 90s and they've been there their whole life. Just, I'm just holding out, hoping that we'd be able to return to faithfulness. That kind of seems to be the idea here. There are some people in Sardis that are saying, look, I'm not going to abandon ship yet. I'm going to hold on. I'm hoping to turn things around. Um, and, and the Lord ultimately is, I think, hoping that those, those would be a part of this to turn things around. Again, in verse 5, it, it's the, the crown that will be given to those who conquer, right? Each and every one of the churches now, the fifth one now, uh, that is the, the closing here. That the one who conquers, the one who endures, he will be saved. She will be saved. Consistent with each of these. Look at the way it describes the faithful. Look here at verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. This speaks of holiness. And I will never blot out their, his name out of the book of life. And so this, this idea of, of being firmly held and secured in God's hand. We think about the language in John chapter 10 that, that the shepherd will lose none that are given him by the Father. These, these, these ideas of security in the Lord, rightly understood, precious things to our faith. So I've kind of zoomed through this, and, and I know these are, these are you know, heavy concepts and stuff. Are there any questions related to this, or now that we've looked at this in relation to some of the other churches? Thoughts, questions? Yeah, Bob. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's an accurate, that's accurately communicating the idea, yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. We, we don't overcome in our own strength. We don't overcome because of our own savvy or because of our own whatever it is, but the sense in which clinging to the cross. Um, that was the famous line that Charles Spurgeon used over and over, clinging to the cross, that as long as we will hold on, we can endure. Yeah. Any questions about this, what this scenario looks like? I mean, it's good for us to have some awareness of this. This is not, this is not about us saying that, oh, our church has, has got everything right and these churches have it wrong. No, far from it. We are, on Sunday, I prayed uh, and named at least five, maybe six um, local churches here that we would consider like-minded and we, we would join and would be um, grateful to call brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are many, many, many in the city and elsewhere that we would link arms with. And ultimately, what it comes down to is not denominational label. It's not what does the building look like. It's not do we like the pastor or not. But ultimately, do we have the same gospel? Do we believe in the same God? Are we pursuing the same mission? Um, in fact, this, this church that I was describing earlier, um, as he was describing it, there was a, another group, not within his congregation, but they shared that same building. Um, and clearly that the group that was there was not representative of biblical Christianity in any stretch of the imagination. Clearly, they were very much in the sort of spirit of the age of what you would expect in, in parts of Asheville, right? And, and so he's concerned that, you know, this is, you know, there's, there's a lot of overlap and there's some issues of compromise. And so he said the way that he approached it was he sat down, you know, with the, the leader of this organization 
and just basically said, what's your mission? Tell me, you know, what, why are you here? What, what is your mission as an organization? And, you know, when this lady described what it is, the way he approached it, he said, well, it's pretty clear we have opposing visions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to glorify him by making disciples of all peoples. That's, that's why we exist. And, <laughs> and I, want, I want this, you know, basically the way that she described her vision was just dramatically different. And so that was a way for them, I think, inconveniently to say, okay, well, let's part ways. Ultimately, it doesn't mean that we, you know, want to kick you out of here. It doesn't mean that we don't care what you're doing. Uh, we care for your souls, but ultimately to have this sense of clarity in our, in our mission. And so we should have a sense as a church, and I'll close on this. Why do we exist? If someone at your work, if one of your friends, if one of your neighbors, especially an unbeliever, asks you, why does Starnes Cove Baptist Church exist? You should have an answer. It shouldn't just be, well, oh, I don't know, because I've always been to church, you know? No, you should really, we should have an answer. Again, what do the scriptures say? We think about 2 Peter, that we would always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Why do we have hope? Why do we exist as a church? Because if we don't have that mission right, Nothing else matters. doesn't matter how many people we pack in here. doesn't matter how good we feel when we leave on Sundays or how bad we feel or what programs we do or don't have. At the end of the day, are we being faithful in our mission as a church? That's what really matters. Any concluding thoughts or questions? I guess you can start with the Great Commission. Absolutely. And that's just it, to make disciples of all people. That's th those are the marching orders that Jesus gave to the disciples. That's, I think, absolutely where we can start. Leon. Not too long, those leaves will be withering. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy. Yeah. How do we... Self-evaluate, yeah, according to the word. And that's such a great question. Um, and that's why um, in the search team, I probably belabored this so much. I remember going through this with them, you know, and I ultimately, you know, put it into to writing to say that, you know, if I come to Starnes Cove, my, my um, rule, my, um, ultimately my standard for judging whether we're doing well or not is ultimately going to be the scriptures. It's not going to be a business model. It's not going to be... Um, you know, even necessarily how we've always done things. Hopefully, yeah, things have been done well, and I think that they have, and I have every sense to say, look, I think I'm following in a great line, and I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, but ultimately, that's not the law. That's not our biblical law. What if we've done some things wrong? We need to do better. Um, and it's not going to be what, even what the denomination were to ask of us. You know, I, I thank the Lord we have a faithful denomination. I have no thoughts or concerns about them. But, but what if they began to have different ideas? Ultimately, you know, when we come down to what is our mission, what should we be doing, what should we be doing and how we should do it, we must be renewing our minds, the scriptures. And so think of the Great Commission. If we're not doing the Great Commission, we're slacking. If we're working against the, com the Great Commission, boy, we're looking a lot like Sardis. Um, so you see there's a little difference. Like we could be, man, maybe we just need to do more. We're lacking some zeal. That's a little different than, why wow, you've been blowing it. You've actually been working against the Lord's work. That's where he starts saying that this is the work of Satan, like we saw with Thyatira. Well, actually, that language even comes up with Pergamum, I believe, yeah, where Satan dwells, ultimately. And so, Lee, that's such a good question for us to always be asking, are we being faithful according to what the scriptures say? Um, I, I, wrote, I sent out um, in the, well, ultimately, Linda does the hard work. She sends out the newsletter. I just get to write a little piece about church membership. Um, thinking about, are we thinking about membership faithfully according to the Bible? 
not just how it's always been practiced. Um, Baptists believe in church membership, and that's a really good thing. Some denominations don't even have membership. So we already, at least we got that. But are, are we doing it according to the scriptures? And so, so those are the questions. That's where we should always come. This is our magisterial authority. Um, there, tradition is good. We don't need to throw out tradition unnecessarily. Tradition can be a good thing. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of people who have done really good things in this church before I was ever born. Uh, before, actually, all of us were born, right? Well, not quite. 41? Okay, so some of you maybe were born in 1941. Um, there, there's good things that have been done. And so we don't need to throw those things out necessarily. Um, we can look at what our other churches are doing. Our, you know, we can learn from them. And, and on one hand, those things are very good. But it's not our, it's not our magisterial authority. Ultimately, uh, we're being faithful to the scriptures. And even if other churches were doing things, and, and even if we, if we looked in the past, if ultimately, if we see that the scriptures are showing us something different, that's where we need to be leaning. It's into that. Any last questions? That's a, that's a great question, Lee. And I hope that that answers. So we're getting there. Okay, well, let's close in prayer. And, Jordan, did you have a thought? Yeah, what was it? I know, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> what was the context of it? Uh, yeah. I know, I can't. Okay, we're talking about uh, America, churches. I don't know. That's right, I'll write it down. It might come to me. That's okay. Well, let's, let's close in prayer, and if I think of it at the end of my prayer, I'll say something. Now. Thank you, Lord, uh, for these brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that we would, um, God, that we would be absolutely committed to being faithful. Um, Lord, that we would have hearts that are selfless and committed and faithful, knowing ultimately that we serve you, and what an honor it is. Lord, what an honor it is to be with these brothers and sisters and the joy to have these times together on Wednesday nights. I pray you'd bless them, each and every one, in Jesus' name, until we return again on the Lord's Day. Amen.